Welcome captives and captive friends to the Global Captive Podcast, supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. We are now on episode 11 and I am pleased to say my guest co-host is a man who I've been trying to track down for a some months now, despite him working just a few hundred yards away at the opposite end of Fenchurch Street. Matthew Latham, Head of Global Programs and Captives at AXA XL. Welcome to the pod. Thank you, Richard, and uh, thank you for waiting for me. And uh, I hope it will be worth the wait. And uh, as you know, it was eventually the lunch that enticed me here. So I'm looking forward to having lunch with you afterwards. Of course, of course. Good things do come to those who wait, so let's hope that is true. Um, If you haven't already, listeners, then please do follow or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It is free to do so and will ensure every episode is downloaded straight to your device when it is released. Matt, I know you are an avid subscriber of the podcast, so how, how do you listen to us? Yeah, well, well like some of, I've heard some of your other uh, co-hosts say that they weren't regular podcast listeners and I fall into that category. But it's very easy. I found that purple button on the iPhone, um, went and uh, looked up your uh, Global Captive podcast, and uh, I download each of the episodes. And then when I'm traveling and got a bit of time, I'll listen to them. I did try initially to sort of multitask and do some emails and listen. And as I said to you, that just didn't work for me. I haven't got the right brain for that. So now I just look out the train window and listen to your soothing voice, and uh, it makes the journey go quicker. Well, that's a better plug than I could ever have written myself. So I appreciate that, Matt. In this episode, we've got a slightly different angle to our usual risk manager, insurance manager segment. It is not a captive owner, but a prospective captive owner in the form of Andrew Kergel, Global Head of Corporate Insurance for German medical devices company, the Hartmann Group. So do stay tuned for that. We're quite lucky to have a prospective captive owner talk to us at that stage. And our third guest of the episode is Ben Whitehouse, formerly an attorney for the Tennessee Captive Insurance Section and now Senior Counsel at Butler Snow Law Firm based in Nashville. Matt, possibly because your move to XL Group from AIG back in September 2014, if I recall correctly, was not long after I joined Captive Review. I've always felt quite familiar with your own career development, if that does sound maybe a bit weird. Um, <laughs> while you've not moved on yourself since 2014, your organisation you work for has gone through some uh, significant change and growth. First, the XL acquisition of the Catlin Group in May 2015, expanded the carrier's presence, particularly in the US. And then last year, the uh, completed acquisition by AXA has definitely uh, transformed the insurer further. You're sat with us today with quite a grand title as head of global programs and captives at, at AXA-XL. So you've obviously been successful in your roles during those transitions. For the benefit of our listeners, can you just outline kind of what your role is and your core responsibilities are today? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so when we were integrating with AXA Corporate Solutions effectively to create um, the division, which is now called AXA-XL, Um, we looked at the global programs and captive teams which had sat alongside each other and we felt that there was so much overlap between the two that we would put the two teams together. So I'd say 90% of our captive fronting programs are sort of in support of a a global programs as local policy issuance. Certainly the type of clients we um, target, that's often the case. So there's some synergies in putting it together. I would say that the team is effectively like a center of excellence, which supports underwriters, operations, claims, distribution staff, whenever they are putting together global program and captive programs. 
And um, you know, now together as XRXL, we have 5,000 global programs, wow. about 200 captive fronting programs. And that really sort of comes 50-50 from each side of the house. So we've doubled by coming together as XRXL. So the type of functions that the team performs is um, we manage um, network partners. So where we don't have our own XR office, um, we work with a network partner in that territory. And uh, we have hubs in um, Asia, in Hong Kong, uh, Vienna for EMEA and Mexico for LATAM, which manage those. We also do the um, the governance, the compliance and reporting around global programs. If any of our underwriters want to roll out global program capability for new lines like cyber, political violence, terrorism, then we support them with that, making sure we have local policy wordings where they want them. Um, we also have the sales team that sort of are selling our global program and captive proposition, going to conferences, doing podcasts, yeah. things like that. <laughs> um, and they're sort of regionally based around the world. Um, you know, we're an escalation point for any servicing related issues. And that, that those are the sort of like the main sort of functions that, uh, that the team covers. What we aren't is we're not the operations team who actually issue the policies and do the, um, you know, and issue the invoicing and then sort of seed the money back to the captive. But we work very closely with those teams, as you can imagine. Yeah, of course. And then the acquisition by AXA of Excel was completed in, in September 2018. So at the time of recording, we're about 10 months into that journey. How has the acquisition changed the captive proposition uh, you're able to provide? So in some ways, not that much. It, clearly, we got a bit more scale. We have much more scale. We have some good new sort of talent um, sort of coming together in one company as well. But we had a similar way of going about captive fronting business. So, you know, your sort of your credit approvals, your reinsurance documentation and your fronting fee models, they were all similar. You know, now we're sort of like bringing those together. There will be a few tweaks to those. I think the bigger change is around our global program sort of proposition because we use different technology platforms, yeah. different network partners. So there's a lot of integration work going on on that. We're generally sort of like taking a best of both approach. So whichever process or technology we thought was more efficient, then we're going to try and take that from the, which one of the legacy companies. And in some cases, we're actually just developing new technology because we needed to because we need, it was getting outdated. For captives away from the captive fronting side, what I'm excited about coming from Excel Catlin is that the AXA group has so many services that they can offer to captives. Yeah. So you know well the guys at Maxis. Um, so that's a joint venture between AXA and MetLife looking at employee benefits, global programs programs and captives we're going to talk about it a little bit later but we had the parametric solutions yeah. pension captive solutions um there's the axra investment managers does investment managing for captives and we also have even um shouldn't say it while i'm in this office but we do have a legacy um a liabilities uh, solution so axa liabilities management they mainly focus on insurance companies to be fair but you know obviously captives are an insurance company so lots of solutions so that that's what you know we've got a lot to talk about with our clients and brokers now so it's great a lot more colleagues for you to get to know and a lot more different areas of the companies for you to get to know i imagine as you touched on the, the talent ish, uh, talent um, element there's already quite a lot of talent and experience with regards to captives at axa coincidentally i did actually bump into um paris-based uh, marine chabonnier just outside fenchurch station earlier this week i don't know if she, she mentioned to you how are you bringing all of that together to ensure it kind of operates as one effective offering yeah so it's great to have marine and her colleagues involved um so we have um, as part of our team we have people who are dedicated to sort of leading global program and captives in each region so marine and her colleagues are going to lead the sort of continental european team it's where most of the legacy access cs business access corporate solutions business was 
and they're based out of the Paris office. And then um, I just give a few name checks to people. So we've got Owen Williams, who sort of sits here in the UK and um, and also covers Scandinavia. Steve Bauman in North America and Shiwei Jin in Asia. So, yeah, from the start, as you said, five years ago, I came in with the only person with captive in my title yeah. into Excel and through various acquisitions and sort of investments we've made. You know, I think we've got a good group of talent now so that we can have those conversations with our clients wherever they are. Great, Matt. Well, that's a really good insight into kind of what's going on at AXA XL with regards to captives at the moment. As mentioned earlier, we have a prospective captive owner interview this week. Andrew Kergel is currently at quite an advanced stage of forming a captive for the Hartman Group, with them considering Malta or Germany as their domicile. Andrew taught me through the process and the kind of lines he expects the captive to be writing once up and running, but he first started by providing some background on the Hartman Group. Hartman uh, was founded in 1818, so it's been around for 200 years. It's it's one of these sort of a German hidden champions. So operating in the health arena, and uh, frankly, a lot of the products you won't use unless you end up in hospital. So if you have a, a wound or something you're injured, then you end up using, uh, for better or for worse, a Hartman product. Initially, it was a textile company, and then it actually then uh, making a cotton, and they started using that for bandages and things. So it sort of developed in this direction. Hartman Group is around 2 billion euros or a little more actually uh, in sales, uh, 11,000 employees. And then we're also, we have two sister companies, so there's uh, two other ones, um, Schwenk Cement, which makes cement obviously, and uh, Veland Copper. And uh, so um, a part of the, the holding group which we're belonging to, they're actually three companies. So, um, but I'm actually head of insurance for Hartman Group, which is uh, then uh, operating worldwide. The biggest footprint is in, in Europe but we're also operating in uh, quite a few other countries, obviously. The insurance is uh, managed centrally, then uh, completely then over over my department. So, On, on particular risks then, um, Andrew, facing uh, the Hartman Group, what are some of the, the biggest risks that the company has to, uh, has to manage? Well, um, we're a manufacturing company, uh, uh, so we do have then manufacturing risks, frankly, where things burn down, factories burn down. Uh, um, we have then uh, dust, which catches fire occasionally, which isn't, isn't very good. Uh, what's fun for me, I got it tested at a property insurer. You can go to a research centre and have it explode and things. So property is probably the, the largest uh, catastrophic uh, risk which we have. Uh, product liability, we're selling products which people could, they could injure someone. So that's also uh, something which uh, uh, plays a role or product recall. And then cyber, because we also have uh, patient data and things like that. So that's something which is becoming more and more uh, a risk probably for everyone frankly. So then on the captives as, as I mentioned in my introduction you're a prospective captive owner going through the process of forming a captive and you're the, you're the first such risk manager we've had on had on the podcast so it's really great to have that insight. When and what prompted uh, you to consider forming a captive? Well I was actually hired uh, to look at things a bit more strategically at Hartman and to bring my insurance skill set to bear that uh, what can we do differently? So uh, first of all, obviously, we took care of the bread and butter things, made sure we had the right policies, we've got enough uh, adequate insurance and limits, etc. And then we started looking, actually, uh, what can we do differently? And uh, the captive, uh, what I mentioned about the other companies, the sister companies, there's a potential not just for a single uh, captive, that we maybe do a group captive for, for all three companies. We, we think it's something which we can use, actually, not so much just for just single lines, which may be a good start with, but uh, we actually then we move down the line that we actually then provide employee benefits to make the uh, the company more attractive. Uh, where we're located, as in uh, a lot of these like hidden champions in Germany, 
um, is not a big city, um, and so you have then uh, more difficulty potentially attracting people locally is no problem or regionally, but attracting from uh, Germany or around the world. And so maybe we can use then insurance to provide something different on the employee benefits side. Um, so we've actually come up with some ideas which if we if we do it, um, then we have some products which probably aren't or not probably they're not available in the market at the moment. So if we provide that into the employees, then it makes us then more attractive. And then the the ultimate vision, what uh, I find really interesting is that uh, we then uh, provide coverage for third party risks. Maybe we link things back to our products potentially, but we actually have uh, uh, some ideas there which we thought then uh, to really make uh, like a profit center, a business enabler. So the, typically I would say insurance is not always viewed positively. It's viewed as a cost, especially at a company like mine. Uh, but if we're actually doing something where we're providing a benefit and we're actually enabling or promoting business, uh, that I think would be great. And that would actually be something which would be pretty useful for, for Hartman in general. That's really interesting. So you've already got some kind of strategic plan as to how to expand the captive in the future and use it more as a strategic asset to the company rather than just a cost center. Would you, uh, you touched on employee benefits there, but would you expect that the first uh, lines of insurance you do put in when you do set up would be the traditional, would it play a part in some of the traditional property liability lines that you already co- you already purchased? Yes, it, it would be along these lines. Um, we have actually on the property side, uh, property insurers FM Global, and we're fairly happy with them and their engineering services. So we'd have to see how we played that. But it would be uh, first these bread and butter lines, actually, and then and then moving down a, a more medium term play for the employee benefits, just to make sure that's done correctly, obviously. And then at, at the same time, actually, then uh, also rolling out this aspect of uh, providing for third parties. So. One of the topics we've covered a few times on the podcast and I've talked about a lot and is a huge, is a common theme in, in captive discussions generally is kind of selling the idea of a captive or justifying the existence of a captive, whether you're an existing owner or a prospective owner internally. How uh, you, you mentioned that you were brought in to ha- look at insurance from a more strategic view. From that perspective, has that given you kind of the, the gravitas to kind of push this idea forward and how has it been received within within the organization well insurance as i said uh, is somewhat viewed as i suppose something which costs money um uh, costs premium um so so we're looking at this sort of a, a paradigm shift isn't it to do something different um so that has to then uh, be sold internally you're, we're looking then for uh we have to look for a long-term commitment from the management you're doing something different uh, frankly, there's also a risk of some adverse effects, especially at the beginning, I suppose, if you had some losses. Um, but the um, the internal selling, um, I, th- I think, w- was a little bit complicated um, because there's been some changes at the, the highest level, senior management or CEO level. But uh, I think everyone involved, they're, they're all intelligent people. If, if they see that there's a strong business reasons then for doing something, I, I can speak at least to the insurance side and what we can do there. And then we also do have um, some outside advisors who are, are very good. So then on the process, how far along are you in the process? Are you are you targeting a particular date to have the captive license and up and running? Um, not really. We had a, a feasibility study done uh, so, so we could run with it. I don't think we're under particularly any uh, time pressure on this. I suppose uh, it's just a question of deciding where, where we want to do it and, and then uh, implementing it. Probably could done, be done fairly quickly depending on uh, where we actually then uh, build the captive. So. And what, do, what thoughts do you have on the, on the domicile selection process, even if you haven't decided yet? What kind of considerations are you, are you looking at for where to choose to have the domicile? The domicile? Does it have to be in the EU? Could you consider offshore? 
you know, what, what's, what are the priorities for you in terms of choosing a domicile? Well, there is this reputational aspect. So, um, so probably uh, if you're talking about a company which has been around for 200 years, uh, um, I don't think we want to put it somewhere which is uh, too strange for a location. So we're probably talking about then the EU. If, if down the road uh, the largest health market is the U.S., um, if we do more business there, then it could be then, then we form then two captives, so one maybe for, for the U.S. market and then one for, for the, uh, the rest of the world or Europe. We've met actually with the, the regulators in, in Malta. Um, uh, they made a, a good impression. Uh, it could be at the end of the day. Uh, uh, we, we have then the captive in Germany since that's our, our largest home base, and uh, uh, so that would be uh, something which we'd also consider. I, on the tax side, uh, that plays, I suppose, a role, but the main thing is actually um, does it make business sense on its own without the tax considerations. So, but I, it's all doable, frankly, and it's an interesting thing to, to, be, uh, to, be, to be managing. So. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by R&Q, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. R&Q can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to R&Q. Welcome back to the Global Captive Podcast, your fortnightly 30-minute dose of insightful captive insurance patter. Matthew, you've heard the interview with Andrew, and I believe you do know him. On the topic of prospective captive owners more broadly, how often do you, as an insurance partner, become involved with corporations, if at all, uh, when they are working through uh, feasibility studies or considering forming uh, a captive structure? And... Are those cases being brought to your attention by colleagues or, or contacts in the wider market? Yeah. So, so firstly, I do know Andrew. I met him a couple of times. Very nice gentleman. Actually, the last time he met uh, me, he very kindly left me some of his uh, products, which I think are sort of shampoo, body lotion type of stuff. But just given that interview we just heard, saying that you'll only come across the products if you're in hospital <laughs> makes me a little concerned now. But I'm sure they're all good, Andrew. Thank you for those. So the fact that I met Andrew, this is a good example. I met Andrew through colleagues because they found out that Andrew was um, looking to establish a captive. So I'd say then you can have two types of discussion with prospective clients. One might be that they don't know you so well, but they do know you're in the captive fronting and global program business. So they want to come and find out about your services um, because they you know, may not have worked with you before. And then more likely, it could be that you're actually providing the existing coverage at the moment. And as part of that feasibility study, um, they want to look at different options for how much risk the captive's going to retain and what potential savings that's going to make. Now, clearly, um, you know, captive managers, consultants can do that as a desktop study as well. But I think if you're going to have, um, you know, the best feasibility study and, you know, show you've actually sort of, been, you know, worked with the market on it, then coming and speaking to insurers about that is good. You know, we, we don't provide advice. You know, that's not yeah. our role. Um, but certainly we've worked on a lot of solutions before, so we can sort of make comment on them. We can maybe suggest some different ideas for them to look at. If, um, if you're already working with a, with a, with a client um, and they haven't got a captive, and uh, but let's say Axor Excel is one of their main uh, panel of insurers or, or, or writing a significant uh, book of business for them and they then want to put a captive into that structure how easy is a, is a transition and, how, and that, would that be when your colleagues will then get you guys involved and come to you and say they're looking at including the captive? 
Yeah, no, it, 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 it's very easy. So where we're working with them already, you've got sort of procedures set up around, uh, you know, if it's a global program, local policy issuance, you've got claims processes and protocols in place. So just adding the captive as a reinsurer to that and making sure you understand what their requirements are for claims flows and uh, premium payment terms and things like that, relatively easy to do. And for an underwriter, they may only have one program that is involved with the captive. So that's why it's really important to have a center of excellence there to support them because we see lots and we see best practices and uh, you know and we can give them that good advice so another reason uh, for the hartman group considering the formula captive which andrew didn't mention to me on air but did actually want me to highlight uh, was that they have seen some hardening in uh, renewal rates and we, we as airmic we're hearing some of that as well um I'm certainly hearing from the large captive managers in Europe, there is more interest in new formations of captives at the moment. You might expect them sometimes to always tell a good story, but they're telling me that kind of away from microphones and away from uh, written articles. Um, And they do expect to see higher numbers this year. Have you picked up on any of that kind of noise around the market? Yeah, some. So I, I, I've met three um, prospective captive uh, owners um, in the last few months, I would say, um, you know, at RIMS or, or wherever, but Euro- European companies. Um, and um, so I think there is a sort of an increase in interest. I mean, as a long term captive advocate, um, I would say that you um, you have a captive. You're not going to set up a captive just because the market starts to toughen for a year or two. You know, it's yeah. clearly a very long term vehicle. Um, and it's something that should be strategic and for all good risk management reasons. But one of those reasons of setting it up is market conditions, and clearly a captive can help you manage that um, volatility and create a bit of more stability in terms. So, yeah, I, I think I think it goes it will follow that there will be an increase in sort of people looking at captives at the moment. Yeah, it's certainly the case that when you hear all kind of good advice around uh, around captives from the captive managers and brokers is you should have a captive in place before uh, the market harshens or hardens so you so you are prepared for it but i think the reality is that often maybe you don't quite get that buy-in from the c-suite until they suddenly see a change in a change in conditions our next interview providing a u.s perspective in this episode is with ben whitehouse formerly an attorney for the tennessee captive insurance section i recorded this interview at the seeker annual conference in march when ben was just two months into his new role at butler snow law firm based in nashville he began by explaining his new position I started at Butler Snow in January of 2019 after a little over five years uh, at the Tennessee Insurance Department doing, uh, being legal counsel for captive insurance. And uh, there was a, a great deal of interest, uh, both uh, with Butler Snow, which is um, a firm that has about 350 lawyers, 26 offices uh, all over the country, did not have a dedicated captive insurance practice or a counsel but had gotten a lot of interest from their own internal clients, a lot of questions about it, and they knew they did not have the expertise. And I thought greatly of the traditional insurance practitioners and government relations team that they had there, reached out to them, and uh, they were very excited to bring me on board, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be there. It's really interesting. I think it's quite promising as well and maybe reflective of the noise, positive noise, I would say, around captives in the United States and uh, coming out of areas of the states which have got relatively new uh, captive domiciles. So obviously, Butler Snow was seeing more inquiries and, and interest around and questions around captive insurance because the word is obviously getting out there about captives in, in, in the area. 
Absolutely. And our firm is, uh, our, our four largest offices are in Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi. And Alabama has a very uh, robust captive law and uh, have a lot of clients all throughout, uh, primarily focused in the southeast, but around the country. Uh, and uh, they had been getting a lot of interest. And we are still seeing domiciles grow. And I think the biggest surprise for me is, you know, we thought, I thought when I started with the captive section, in uh, 2013 that uh, Tennessee was grouped in with a number of new domiciles and it was seen as you know one of the up-and-comers and of course Vermont and to a degree Delaware South Carolina were considered more of the old guard and then Tennessee and Utah North Carolina were considered the new guard and I would even put Georgia in there as well Kentucky and and some of those domiciles have gotten a better reputation than others but the interesting thing that I'm seeing is the number of domiciles that really they're not president conferences they're not out marketing themselves aggressively uh, but they will take business as it comes in i mean when you have citizens within those states and business entrepreneurs who are i'm sure politically connected who are powerful within their own states uh, they going to their state and insurance department saying can you do this and a government official who gets enough of those especially from from the, the, the high-end, politically connected entrepreneurs in their state, they're going to want to meet their needs. And so domiciles like Oklahoma and Texas, Texas especially, yeah. they're, they're essentially non-existent on the national or international stage, uh, but they are slowly but surely adding captives in for their, for their local market. Yeah, they're, and, they're providing options for some very, very large multinationals that want an option at home and they want to keep them happy, presumably. Absolutely, yes. And so I think that's... Uh, as captives become a little more uh, accepted, I think the other contrary viewpoint is that you still have a few domiciles that I'm not going to name uh, that are still actively hostile to captives. But that list is much smaller. I think you have uh, an, a growing number of domiciles that went from being hostile to being more benign to being more, hey, we're happy to entertain your application if you wish to file it. Uh, well, we might even update, you know, the the previous standard. I, I still have a copy of the original Tennessee captive insurance law that was adopted in 1978, I believe. And it was a very progressive, uh, I think, one or two percent premium tax, uh, which compared to the traditional rate that that traditional companies pay is, is a discount. Uh, but it's obviously not uh, in keeping with the current standard. So. Uh, I think you may see some states go and you know, copy kind of the prevailing standard somewhere, you know, at uh, one half of a percentage point uh, premium tax and do those kinds of things to to at least keep up with the Joneses, if you will, of, of uh, where other domiciles are going. So here's, here's, a, here's a controversial question for you, Ben. Is the future of captive domiciles just purely home state domiciles? You, everyone just has their captive in their home state. Are we going to, because we, we, you know, that is, we're way more closer to that now than we were 10 years ago. You say something like Texas is, Texas was never interested in captives. And now they've, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but it's 30 plus now and significant size captives. Vermont's still a great domicile. Hawaii's still a great domicile. Bermuda's still a great domicile. But you are starting to see more and more captives set up or, or move to their home state. I think it's a good, good question. I think you could probably make a parallel with the business and corporations market. So starting, I don't know, 100 years ago, long before, Delaware was the place to be if you were going to incorporate, especially if you're going to incorporate a, a large 
multinational company, uh, have an excellent court system in Delaware, and were, were very business friendly and uh, did a wonderful job marketing themselves. Uh, is the home for corporate, uh, corporate incorporations. They're still a good place, and they still have uh, you know, the leader as far as uh, formation of large multinational companies. However, you have a lot of other states not trying to be the next Delaware, because there's only one, uh, but trying to copy and provide similar services. You also had the same thing with trust services. You also had the same thing with, with uh, limited liability companies. Uh, you know, Tennessee embraced uh, the series LLC model that almost by accident we were able to take advantage of with captives. So I think you're going to see a number of states copying the what other states are doing that are easy steps. You will still have a market for uh, more specialized insurers and those that uh, need a specialized set of care for whatever reason their home domicile is not comfortable licensing that particular captive or there is no home home domicile or for whatever reason uh, the home domicile doesn't fit. So you have the choice of your the top three or the top five domiciles to, to choose from. You know, when we formed captive in Tennessee, it was really a where did the owner feel comfortable uh, working with the regulator? And if you have uh, a company with operations in multiple states, they are more likely to have a choice. If you have a, com- a company that's domiciled in Tennessee, I would strongly encourage them to look at Tennessee first. If you have a company that's domiciled and is working out of Utah, Utah is a wonderful domicile, I'd encourage you to go there. Uh, it probably doesn't make as much sense. But if you have a company that is operating all across the country, your options are probably a lot more open. Matt, we kind of touched on this earlier, but you were the first of a few high-profile names from the captive and global programs arena to join XL and later XL Catlin between late 2014 and 2017. I'm thinking particularly of uh, Philippe Giroux, Owen Williams, and then Steve Bauman in the United States. I know you have had some success in securing new fronting business in the US in recent years. How much more have you needed to become familiar with the intricacies of the US captive market as the footprint and your own role has grown? And does that pose uh, many different challenges to the European market? Yeah, well, certainly uh, it's important for me to understand that market in a global role. But the reason why we hired Steve was because we wanted somebody who really understood it in detail, had worked in that market for a long time and was well known. I think I think you said to me in your former role at Captive Review that uh, that was one of the biggest stories of the year when we hired um, Steve. So it showed that he was well known and uh, he's been on a number of boards and regular speaker. So... It's, it's a huge market, the US, and we were relatively small in the US, so it, it became a, a sort of an important target for us. And in terms of um, how different it is, I think if you're talking about a sort of a Fortune 1000 multinational company who's wanting policies issued around the world and then going to reinsure part of that risk back to the captive, it's pretty much the same, but there are different conventions in terms of collateral. Um, you know, it's much more common to have hard collateral trusts in the U.S. than some of the places outside of the U.S. Um, reinsurance documentation is different. Different clauses need to be included. Um, I think then when you get away from those large multinationals, there is a, a whole different world of captives out there, which I don't claim to know as well, because we don't generally target that area. One of the areas we are looking at at the moment is um, sort of uh, risk retention groups, association captives, group captives. What sort of solutions are they looking for? Can we help provide those type of solutions? The smaller 831B captives is not really in our space, and, uh, and I know that's quite a big percentage of the captives out there now. 
one area that AXA has been well known for in recent years is working on parametric insurance products. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of potential do you see in that in that area, Matt? And are you seeing many examples of captors looking to put parametric programs in place? Yep, so it's right. AXA had a parametrics team for a long time. They've recently rebranded it as AXA Climate. And for those of you that don't know what uh, sort of a parametric program is, rather than um, sort of calculating a loss based on indemnity, so actually what is the loss that you've actually incurred, um, this looks at indices. So typically they're sort of weather-related, sort of temperature, rainfall, you know, wind speed or something like that. And in the event that you buy a protection, let's say you're an energy company and uh, you're worried about it being a very warm winter because you're not going to sell enough um, sort of um, electricity or heating, then you might want to get protection if the weather is above a certain temperature. And and then the contract will pay out depending on what you've agreed in the contract. It might be sort of like a certain amount of uh, money per degree. And um, that may re- that may keep a sort of close resemblance to the actual loss that you've experienced, but it may not. That's the difference between a parametric trigger and, uh, and, and an indemnity trigger. So are captives using these? Yeah, we have a few programs where we have captives participating in the program. They're reinsuring part of the risk. Um, I think it's really interesting if you start to sort of get into the area of um, risks which are not typically insured, like non-damage BI or something like that. So... Um, it could be that you're using um, a, a parametric trigger for um, something around sort of denial of access. So sort of events happening, you've not received any damage, but, you know, you can't trade for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, those clients who've got those type of risks want to use their captives as part of it. Um, they might want to consider looking at sort of a parametric um, solution. The, the key thing is to try and find a, an indices um, which mirrors uh, as closely as possible the potential loss that you could suffer. Thank you to all of our guests this week, the Hartman Group's Andrew Kergel, Ben Whitehouse from Butler Snow, and of course Matthew Latham from AXA XL. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. Thank you, Richard. Pleasure to be on. See you next time, captives. <laughs>